Acts chapter 2 from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They're full of new wine. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, give to us now your spirit to understand the word that the spirit has given we need him O lord we need him as the grant that you promise as the gift of your risen son we need him not just to understand but to embrace and to live the things that we read and hear lord show us something of the glory of the new covenant church even now and the blessings that we receive for christ's sake Amen. Amen. If I said to you as a congregation that we need to keep waiting and we need to keep praying, how long would you last? If I said we, we just need to, to wait and to pray, how many of us know what it is to pray for more than 10 minutes? I'm not saying there's virtue in a long prayer in itself. What if I said to you we need to keep praying for day after day after day? These men and women had been told by the risen Christ to wait in Jerusalem and to pray, to wait for the promise of the Father. They're ten days in. And you might say, ten days doesn't seem so long. But I suggest to you that perhaps some of us might start to struggle after three or four days. If I said we're going to be here every Lord's Day and then every day in between until we obtain a particular blessing, would you be here day after day? You might say, well, we need to rearrange our schedules, but, but would you be here pleading with God for a particular favour? How eager would we be? How expectant in the light of the promises of God. These men and women, they, on the day of Pentecost, they are 
in one place with one accord. They've continued waiting upon God. They've continued expecting that God will be true to his word. Now, there's already been some change in them from the days immediately after the crucifixion of Christ. <coughs> you remember to begin with, perhaps, how they were very fearful, uh, locked away in the upper room for fear of the Jews. Now, Christ has shown himself to them. And there seems to have been a measure of restoration. They know now that he has again risen from the dead. But these are the people who are going to be transformed into effective witnesses to the risen Christ. How is that going to happen? How is this relatively small band of men and women going to become the people who carry the word of Christ, not just into Jerusalem, but through Judea, into Samaria, and then to the very ends of the age? And the answer is that the risen Christ will give to them the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the same person and the same power that gripped these men and women and galvanised them is with us still. Now we need to understand how the Spirit operates. But the Spirit of God has been given to the Church of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're looking at particularly this morning. We're going to look at the time and the group, the people who were gathered at Pentecost. Then we're going to listen to the sound and see the sights which they heard and saw. Then we'll concentrate for a few moments on the spirit and the speech. And then we'll look at the crowd and the truth as the, the speech echoes out into Jerusalem. First of all then, the time and the group. The time and the group. When the day of Pentecost had fully come or perhaps more accurately, when the day of Pentecost had been fulfilled, they were all with one accord in one place. Pentecost is the 50th day after Passover. Seven weeks have passed since Passover, and this is now the first day of the week, Pentecost. Now that's significant because if you remember, it is on the first day of the week, again and again, the day of resurrection, that Christ has drawn near to his people in a particular way. That the Lord Jesus has shown himself to his disciples for their blessing. And friends, that's why we still gather on the first day of the week. Because it is the day on which our Saviour, in his risen power, made a habit of coming to his people. It's the day of resurrection resurrection it is the day of distinct blessing this first day of the week 50 days after passover is also referred to as the feast of weeks now there were three great feasts in the jewish festival passover was one and pentecost is another it's also sometimes referred to as a harvest festival or the festival of the first fruits. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 22, it is referred to, and these things are significant. You should observe the, the feast of weeks of the first fruits of wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. 
Then in Numbers chapter 28 and verse 26, similar language is being used. Also on the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new grain offering to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation or gathering and you shall do no customary work. So this is the day of Pentecost. 50 days after Passover, when the Lord celebrated with his disciples the first supper and was then crucified. 50 days have passed, 10 since our Lord has gone back into heaven, and they've come to the day which is the beginning of blessings. They've come to the day of thankful remembrance for God's kindnesses when they celebrate the provision of the Lord toward them. And, says Luke, this day has now been fulfilled. So it's not just that the day of Pentecost has now properly arrived. You know, the, the, the sun's up. I mean, it's nine o'clock in the morning. We know that from later on. But uh, it means that what was prefigured or shadowed out in the day of Pentecost, the feast of weeks, the day of the first fruits, that is now being fulfilled. What was a shadow or a picture is now becoming a reality. And what's happening here? These people are gathered together. Verse one, uh, 4 of chapter 1. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Then uh, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. <coughs> These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the followers, the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. And these are the people who are still gathering together on the 50th day after Passover. These are the people who are in one place and with one accord when the day of Pentecost is being fulfilled. These are the chosen vessels of Jesus Christ. They have been prepared through their presence with him. They have been gathered together by his grace. They are now united. They are now praying. They are now waiting. They're there with one accord. That's the way we ought to be when we gather. And when we pray together, are our hearts being piled up behind the words of whoever leads in prayer, whether that's on the Lord's Day or when we gather on a Wednesday? Are we there, as it were, pulling on the same rope? When we have opportunities, do we have a sense we're coming to the throne of grace in order together to cry out to our Heavenly Father? It's important to remember that these people are all together because each of them experienced the blessings that follow. So look in verses 17 and 18 of the chapter. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. They shall speak of me and for me. 
What happens here doesn't just happen to the apostles. What happens here doesn't just happen to a few particular leaders. What happens here happens to everybody who is in one place with one accord. The blessings that are given from heaven here are not for a select few, but for the disciples as a group. That's the time and that's the group. What is then the sound and the sight? And suddenly, verse 2, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. <coughs> now, these are symbols rich with meaning. Notice, it doesn't say that a wind suddenly blew through the room and that fire suddenly filled it. It says that there was a sound like a rushing wind which filled the whole house. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, like fire. So you've got a sound like a wind and you've got a sight like tongues of flame which are filling this house and which are resting on each of the disciples who are in this room and this is the kind of language and this is the kind of imagery that again if we know our old testaments and these men and women would have done that would have been rich with meaning for them so first of all there's a sound like wind and distinctly it comes from heaven this is God's kindness. This is Christ's mercy. Remember that the Lord has ascended up into heaven. The bright cloud had enveloped him and taken him out of their sight. And Christ, when he gives this particular sign, gives it in such a way that their eyes and their ears are connecting what they're now hearing with where Christ has gone. There's a, a locality to this that Christ in his mercy bestows upon them. Perhaps you remember how he dealt with the man who was, um, who was uh, deaf and who was unable to speak. And how he looked up to heaven and sighed and almost signed out to him what was taking place so that he would understand. Here's the same condescending love. I have gone into heaven and now a sound comes from heaven so that you can say, well, that's where Christ is and it's coming from where he went. And it's not just a breeze. It's the sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. Now, in both Hebrew and in Greek, the word for wind is the same word for breath and the same word for spirit. You have to understand uh, what uh, context is teaching you about these things. And in the Old Testament, again, this wind imagery, this sound and force of wind is often used to speak of the activity of God. Let me give you one or two instances. First of all, very well known in Ezekiel and chapter 37, where you have the valley of dry bones. And in verses 9 and 10, Ezekiel is told, prophesy to the breath or to the wind, 
Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now that puts us in mind of what happened when God made man in his own image right at the beginning. Because Adam was formed out of the dust of the earth. And what did God do? He breathed into him and man became a living being. Or again in Psalm 33 and verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth so when the the breath of god comes when the wind of heaven blows there is life that is given god is at work to create and to create again then some of you might have heard this language theophany a theophany is an appearance or manifestation of God in some visible form. And sometimes there is something theophanic about the presence of a wind like this. It's a declaration of God's presence. So in 2 Samuel chapter 22, the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Or you think of Job, when the Lord finally speaks into all the the confusion and the altercation of Job and his friends. Where is the Lord speaking from? The Lord speaks from the whirlwind. The same is in Ezekiel 13 and verse 13 again. Our Lord uses this very imagery, does he not? In John chapter 3, what does he say to Nicodemus? One cannot be born again. Uh, Sorry, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And similar illustration is picked up in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 11. Now, why am I giving you all these texts from the Old Testament, from the New Testament? What is it that is represented and communicated when this kind of wind blows? God is present to bring and to bestow life upon that which is dead. It is a demonstration of the power of God. And now this wind comes from heaven, a sound rather from heaven, like that of a mighty, rushing mighty wind which fills the whole house when, where they are sitting. And then the sound of the wind having come, there appear to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. 
If you've ever sat around a, a barbecue or a fire pit or whatever, a fire bowl, whatever it would be, and the flames really start to leap, you know, if you're sitting at just the right angle, it looks like there are sort of flames, tongues of fire leaping off the main body of flame. And it's those tongues of fire, it's those licking tongues, those little pillars of flame that are described here. Like little pillars of flame on each of them. Pillars of fire demonstrating the presence of God himself. We've seen that before, haven't we? How was Israel led through the wilderness? God was with them. The cloud and the fire was with them day and night. Where else have we seen flames resting on something that is neither burned nor consumed. We've seen a bush that burned when Moses drew near to it, which was on fire but was not consumed. You can see, again, these sorts of images through the, the Old Testament. We've, we've looked at a couple of them already here from, from Exodus chapter 3, that burning bush. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 18. What was going on when Israel came to Mount Sinai? It was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. In chapter 24 and verse 17, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. And again, 1 Kings chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 6, Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 13. What does the fire show? Fire often communicates something of the presence of God in power but also with mercy making himself known and as these men and women are gathered together in one place with one accord on the day of Pentecost as it is being fulfilled the day when they think about the favours of God the first fruits of his great mercies toward them with regard to an ingathered harvest there's a sound like wind and there's a sight like tongues of flame resting upon each of them. What's going on? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit blows like the wind. The wind goes where it wishes. You hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here is something that you cannot see but which has a manifest effect when it arrives. This seen and heard symbolism, this is communicating to these disciples the reality of the presence of a person. And that person is the third person of the Godhead. He is Father, he is Son, he is Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is now in their midst in this distinctive way. This is the gift 
that the Father and the Son promised would be given. And he now has been given. And notice that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All those who were gathered together in this way, pleading with God for the fulfilment of his promises, they are all granted this particular divine donation, this empowerment for the work that God has given them to do. This is the fulfilment of the promise. I will pray the Father, John 14, 16, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. Here is the heavenly paraclete. Here is the helper. Here is the comforter. And he has now distinctly come in this particular form and fashion. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 16, remember what John the Baptist had promised. I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's the language that our Lord picks up in Acts 1, 5. John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In Romans in chapter 8, remember what time this is, what day this is. Verse 23. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves. Now, who, who is Paul speaking to there? People who were present on the day of Pentecost? No. These are the Roman believers. Now, there were Christian people from Rome. We see that later on. But he can say to the believers in Rome, to all of them, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Do you hear a little bit of the echo of Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14? That we have the Holy Spirit as the down payment of our inheritance. The guarantee of what still lies ahead. What happens when the Holy Spirit is given? They began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. <coughs> Now, I think it would be most helpful here and probably in a number of other places if it were translated in this way, they began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. How do we know that these are other languages? Go down to verse 11. We hear them speaking in our own languages, our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and remember the occasion... This is the beginning of the going out of the church. You are to take my truth through Jerusalem, out into Judea, into Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, and I will equip you for this work. And as that process now begins with the giving of the promise of the Father, here is this distinct and unique grant of a, an ability to speak in other languages as they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think it's 14 times in the New Testament that this language is used of God's people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to a few other instances. Here's Acts chapter 4 and verse 8. Peter, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we are this day judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, and so on. Then chapter 3, uh, sorry, chapter 4 and verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Or again, Acts chapter 7 and verse 35. This Moses whom you reje they rejected saying, I don't think it's 7.35, sorry. This is going to be Peter, no, uh, Stephen. Oh, that's right. Uh, verse 55 it should be not 35 but he being full of the Holy Spirit there's that language gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said look I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God now this language of being filled with the Holy Spirit this is not isolated to the New Testament in Numbers chapter 11, Oh, are you zealous for my sake? asks Moses when Joshua's concerned that there are people who are teaching the, 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 the gathered Israelites, Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. What's taking place here? My friends, when the Spirit of God fills the people of God, they speak for God in the same way as the Old Testament prophets did. Not with ecstatic languages, not in things that cannot be understood, but they make God known in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a sea change that takes place at this point in redemptive history. There's a step change from one thing to another. People get obsessed about the languages. People get obsessed about the tongues in which they spoke. That's to, to, to look at the, the, the shell and to miss the meat, the substance. What is taking place here is that the Holy Spirit is given in this distinct way to the church and they are being equipped to make Jesus Christ known in the world. And my friends, he is the same spirit still. We are not waiting for another Pentecost. We've had Pentecost but the people who were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, what happened to them individually or sometimes as a group? And they were filled, and they were filled, and they were filled. There were ongoing operations of the Holy Spirit by which they were enabled to go on speaking the great works of God to the people who were around them. Isn't it tragic today? How many people get obsessed with the gift of tongues, as it's often thought, an ability to speak allegedly in some unknown and almost unknowable language as an indication that the Holy Spirit has come or that you are perhaps even a Christian. And to miss the point so manifestly. It's not about the outward forms. These people are believers and now the Spirit is given. Remember the blessings of the new covenant. What was going to happen when the new covenant came according to Jeremiah chapter 31? 
I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbour and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Here's the distinctive new covenant favour of God upon the whole church. You all have the Holy Spirit. Now look briefly with me at the crowd and the truth. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. <clears throat> and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Is that the sound of the mighty rushing wind or is that the sound of everybody speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance? doesn't mean that all of them were speaking, does it? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and then they began to speak as the Spirit directed particular ones of them. And either the noise like the wind or the noise of those whom the Spirit has given utterance speaking now in other languages draws a crowd. They were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language and they were all amazed and marvelled saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Now, you'll know that people from Crawley probably are not renowned for their academic prowess and their cultural attainments. It would be like people from all over the world travelling through Gatwick and saying, how is it these people from Crawley can all speak our languages? I mean, these are Crawley people. It's the same kind of dis Galileans. Now, these are not the cultured people. These are not the educated people. And yet... We know that they're Galileans. Maybe they've even got Galilean accents. As Who knows? But we can tell they're Galileans. And yet, listen, each of us is hearing these things in our language in which we were born. This is not a miracle of hearing. This is a miracle of speaking. And then Luke tells us. Now, it doesn't mean that, that someone's in the crowd necessarily counting up, but the conversation's going back and forth. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people who live in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya next to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. That is, native-born Jews, but also those from the Gentile nations who've come to learn about the God of the Hebrews. Then Cretans too, and Arabs, and we're all listening to them speaking in our own languages the wonderful works of God. My friends, that which Christ has commanded in the providence of God is represented here in Jerusalem. This gospel is going to go out. And for the beginning of that process, God has gathered together on this day of Pentecost a representative congregation from the nations of the world, beginning at Jerusalem with the Jews. And now the sound of God's great works, the wonderful things that God has done in salvation is the sense. Those things are being spoken and the process of the spread of the good news of God in Christ has begun. And this is super exciting because when they came together, verse 6, they were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. 
Now, there's somewhere else in the Bible where you hear about people who get confused over languages. Good, Tower of Babel. Did they get confused because they could understand? No, they got confused because they couldn't. But the same language is being used here. At Babel, the Lord confused the languages of men and they were scattered because they were trying to establish some great unity against and apart from God. Now God confuses the people who speak a variety of languages because they can understand, because they do hear. And what do they hear? Again, not ecstatic babble, not something that needs to be translated because it's angels' talk, not some kind of so-called heavenly gibberish, and not even some kind of drunken mumbling. They're full of new wine, some of them were saying. No, what they hear is the truth of God in their own language. These people under the influence of the Holy Spirit are speaking about what God has done in Christ to those who have gathered in Jerusalem. This is not confusion. This is translation. God is undoing the curse of Babel and he is establishing a new covenant community of his own people. From what? From every kingdom, every tribe, every tongue and every nation. This is the new covenant Israel of God. And in Genesis 10 and 11, where the Tower of Babel is described, Genesis 10 has this great catalogue of nations. In Acts chapter 2, it's not identical, but it's similar. As if Luke is saying, when God confused the languages then, now look from these regions around Jerusalem. He sort of sweeps across from east to west, thinking about these particular nations. Confusion gives way to translation. Judgment that brought disruption is replaced by mercy that brings a genuine gospel unification. This isn't something that man accomplishes. This is something that God himself gives. And it's given on the day of first fruits. It's given at Pentecost as that imagery of an ingathered harvest is being fulfilled. Here is this new gospel impetus. Here is the purpose of God being accomplished. They've been going to Jerusalem. Now they're told to go from Jerusalem that all may hear what God has done for the salvation of sinners in Christ Jesus. We don't pray for another Pentecost. Pentecost has come. The new covenant era has been ushered in by the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit to the people of God, a unique event in redemptive history. The step change the beginning of a, a new uh, pattern in God's dealings with lost mankind and at this moment the Holy Spirit is given to God's people in a way that he has never been given to them before it doesn't mean the spirit didn't exist beforehand it doesn't mean there were no operations of the spirit before but there is a step change here there is a new grant Babel itself 
begins to be undone and the gospel begins to go into all the world in accordance with the command and the purpose of the God of salvation, the God of all the earth. Brothers and sisters, Christian men and women here this morning, we are the inheritors of Pentecost. How tragic if we think that that means that we have to sit around and wait until we can speak in languages that other people can't understand. What it means is this, that if you are one of God's people, that you are one of those to whom the first fruits of the Spirit has been given for the gathering in of the final harvest of God. The Spirit dwells in all the saints. I, I have seen people who have been tormented by the notion that they do not have the Holy Spirit. Christian men and women now, crippled by the sense that they do not have the Spirit and that something else needs to happen in order to make them real Christians. The Spirit dwells in each one of the people of God. Now that's one side of the reality. The other is this. Don't you want to be filled by him? Don't you want to know more of his operations? Don't you want to feel the effects of his presence more deeply, more richly, more fully, more mightily than we do at this point in time? He is a person. He's not a wind. The sound like a wind announces his presence. He's not fire, but tongues like fire show that he is at work in this place. Why is this important? Because according to Ephesians, according to 1 Thessalonians, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can act in such a way you can think about him and act toward him in a way that brings holy distress to the heart of God. You can quench the Holy Spirit by your sins, by your antagonisms, by your suspicions. You can bring grief to him and you can resist his operations. How much do we think about the spirit of Christ? How conscious are you of the presence in the church of the third person of the Godhead, the spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, the paraclete, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of peace, What do you seek? Not the gift of tongues, as it's so often understand, as some evidence of spiritual life or some indication of the Spirit's power, but the filling of the Holy Spirit so that we may, as the Spirit gives us utterance, speak the wonderful works of God. Some of us, perhaps from pulpits, some of us in pews, some of us to our neighbours, 
some to our friends, some to our parents, some to our siblings, some to our children, some to our colleagues. But my friends, the spirit of Christ was given that the church may make known the Christ who gave the spirit. What does the Holy Spirit delight to do? To take and to make known the things concerning Jesus Christ. And as he comes with Pentecostal power, that is precisely what he equips and he enables the people of Jesus Christ to do. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said they are full of new wine. It may not be precisely the same, but isn't that what happens when people still speak the great things of God? When a church is galvanised by the truth, gripped by the wonders of God's saving accomplishments in his son, some people are stunned and some people are sceptical. Some people are amazed and some people will mock. This is still the outcome when the Lord Christ is proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would say that when the Spirit is present with distinct power, then that distinction in response is even more marked. That's what you see when people are filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Men are cut to the heart and they either cry out, what must we do to be saved or how can we kill that preacher? So what do you do with the Christ of God? See, that's the first question, is it not? Not, have you received this gift of tongues? That's not what we're anticipating. Not first and foremost, have you received the Holy Spirit in some particular way? But this, that when the truth concerning Jesus of Nazareth is made known to you, how do you respond? The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself, my friends. The Holy Spirit sets the spotlight upon Jesus Christ. I always remember the story of a group of concerned Scottish ministers gathered together to discuss how they could seek the, the revitalization and the stirring up of the church in their particular part of the country. And they gathered together and there are a number of enthusiastic brothers who were there. To, we need a conference about the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. We need to focus on the Spirit of God. That's where we need to go. And there was an old wise minister who let these brothers talk for a little while. And then he said to them, why do you not have a conference about Jesus Christ? Why do you not preach sermons about Jesus Christ? Why do you not go home to your churches and tell the people about Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of God? If you want the Holy Spirit to come, speak about the Son. For that is the one that the Spirit delights to honour. It is upon Christ that the Spirit throws divine illumination. That those hearing of him may come to him, trust in him, love him and serve him. 
What do you do with the wonderful works of God in Christ? Do you know this Jesus? Do you know my Saviour? Do you know the King of Kings who laid down his life for sinners like us and took it up again for the salvation of his people? who ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, who poured out his spirit upon his church, that we might be blessed and be a blessing to you. Are you trusting him now? Do you love him as the Holy Spirit makes him know that you have seen, not fully, but truly, you've seen the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Trust him. Love him. Serve him. And we will know that the spirit of Christ is with us. Amen.